Well, we have been over in this topic of bearing fruit for God. In the last couple of weeks, we were looking, spent most of our time in Galatians, looking at the actual fruit and what, uh, what Paul taught us about it in Galatians. Back over in John chapter 15, if you would like to, you can turn over to there. We want to just review some of the things from our scripture we started on with this. Jesus is teaching, and he says, I am the what? I am the true vine. And we know from that 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 means that there are other false vines out there that people can become attached to. But he is the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he bear, that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and to wither. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples." Well, we need to bear fruit. We see that it's imperative, it's important that we bear fruit. That in order to bear fruit, we need to abide with Him. We need to be part of Him. There's a story that's told of, of J.C. Penney. Of course, he was around during the first part of the 20th century. And I'll read this story here to you. His empire, at the height of it, was over 1,700 stores. It was a, at his time, it was the country's largest chain department store in the, in the nation. It says that he was incredibly wealthy, but J.C. Penney's life was not devoid of setbacks and troubles. In fact, beginning in 1929, events took place that nearly cost Penny his life. When the Great Depression struck the country, it came at a time of great financial vulnerability for Penny. In the good times before the Depression, Penny had overextended himself and had borrowed heavily to finance many of his ventures. But when the Depression hit, banks began to request repayment of his loans sooner than anticipated. Suddenly, cash flow was tight and Penny was finding it difficult to meet payment schedules. Constantly, an unrelenting, unrelenting worry began to take a toll. It was so, I was so harassed, he writes, with worries that I couldn't sleep and developed an extremely painful ailment. Concerned about his deteriorating health, Penny checked himself into the Kellogg Sanitarium at Battle Creek, Michigan. It's kind of like a Mayo Clinic of that era. And Dr. Elmer, I think I have this right, Eggleston, a staff physician, examined Penny and declared him that he was extremely ill. Penny later recalled a rigid treatment was prescribed, but nothing helped. He was constantly tormented by periods of hopelessness and despair. His very will to live was rapidly eroding. I got weaker day by day. I was broken, nervous nervously and physically filled with despair, unable to see even a ray of hope. I had nothing to live for. I felt that I hadn't a friend left in the world and that even my family had turned against me. Alarmed by his rapid deterioration condition, Dr. Eggleston, Eggleston gave Penny a sedative. However, the effect quickly wore off and Penny awakened with the conviction that he was living the last night of his life. Getting out of bed, I wrote farewell letters to my wife and to my son, saying that I did not expect to live to see the dawn. Penny awakened the next morning, surprised to find himself alive, making his way down the hallway of the hospital. He could hear singing coming from a little chapel where devotional exercises were held each morning. The words of the hymn he heard being sung spoke deeply to him. Going into the chapel, he listened to the singing, the reading of the scripture, lessons and the prayer. Suddenly something happened, he said. I can't explain it. I can only call it a miracle. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness of a dungeon into a warm, brilliant sunlight. I felt as if I had been transported from hell to paradise. I felt the power of God as I had never felt it before. In a life-transforming instant, Penny knew that God with his love was here, was there to help. From that day to this, my life has been free from worry, he declared. The most dramatic and glorious 20 minutes of my life 
for those I spent in that chapel that morning. The words from the hymn that spoke so eloquently and miraculously to J.C. Penney were these. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you, but Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Beneath these wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you, though every day over all the way, He will take care of you. God will take care of you. That second stanza, Beneath His wings of love abide, God will take care of you. Oh, if we only learned how to abide. Jesus is teaching here in this section of Scripture a number of things, but one of them was the principle concept of abiding. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes and it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We are called to abide. The word here for abide is from the word meno. It means to stay, to remain, to continue, or to permanently reside in one place. Hence, to abide. To stay, to remain, to continue, or to permanently reside in one place. Meno, to abide. That's what he's writing when he says this. And this, this, word, this word is used in a lot of scriptures, or over a hundred just in the New Testament, or in the New Testament that you can find this at. But we see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. The word there translated endures is the same word. It means to continue. It means to stay. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But I say to the unmarried in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8 and to widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I. In other words, in the state that they were in, to stay there. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And now abide faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, abide, stay, continue with us. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after that he, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present day. What does that mean? They're still alive. They were still there. They remained. For uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Speaking of the time to come, what remains, what stays here, what abides. Same word. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. So one verse, he talks about good things that remain, and here they still have a veil that remains over their eyes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, If we are faithless, He remains. He abides. He continues. He stays faithful. 2 Timothy 3, and verse 14, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. You must continue. You must abide. You must stay. And this is really what Jesus is teaching them, is that they must stay, they must continue with Him or in these things. Let's go back again to what Jesus had said over here in, in John. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. We cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Him. So if we are going to bear fruit, the most imperative thing is that we abide, that we learn what it is. We have to have an understanding so that we can communicate this. Some, sometimes we come and we look at the Scriptures and say, well, yeah, abide in Him. All right, I know what that means. But if you were asked by someone, go out and tell someone off the street, what does it mean to abide in Him? How many of you could give a real good description so that that person could go, could go out and do it? If you can't give it to someone off the street, how can you really say that you understand what it is? And if you don't really understand what abiding is, then how can you produce fruit when the key to producing fruit 
is abiding. I have to know what abiding is. I have to know not only what it is, I know, need to know how to do it. I need to know how to do it so well I can tell someone else how to do it. And generally, if you're going to tell someone else how to do something, it's because you know it works. You know what you, the knowledge you have on that is, is functional knowledge. It's good knowledge. Now, I'll bet most of you, if you met somebody up on the street and they just got their driver's license, how many of you could tell them how to pump gas? If you come from Jersey, we understand. <laughs> I would love to buy gas over Jersey all the time when I'm over there, except for the fact that they won't let me pump it. I actually get offended at the fact that I can't pump the gas. Not offended, like, you know, well, just, you know, I want to be able to pump my own gas. I don't like pulling up to a place and waiting for someone who's busy. You can tell they're busy. They have a lot to do. They're going from this car, this car. This, they're busy. I like to help the brother out. <laughs> As far as I know, he's a brother in the Lord. I like to get on over there and give him a hand. You know, it might be a sister, maybe it's a girl. I don't, I don't find too many girls out there pumping the gas over there in, in New Jersey. Over here in Pennsylvania, no, don't, none of them do. Whoever's driving the car. You know, if it's a girl driving the car, she's pumping the gas. If it's a guy driving the car, he's usually pumping the gas. But, but over there, every time I pull in, it's always a guy. So, you know, he might be a believer or something like that. I just hate to see him just running around doing all sorts of stuff. <laughs> And then I'm just sitting there in my car and waiting. That just doesn't seem right to me. When I have two perfectly good legs and two perfectly good arms, and I can get out and I know how to fill up my gas tank. But in Jersey, you cannot do it. It's not allowed. Not allowed. Somehow, the guy who has the hat on is more qualified than I am. <laughs> so we have to live with it. But otherwise, you can save some money. You know, it's a little bit cheaper over there in Jersey. But I generally like to pump it myself. But we've all pumped gas. Right? We've all gotten out there. We live in Pennsylvania, most of us. So we've all pumped our own gas at some time or another. We've done it. How many of y'all remember your first time? Now, I mean, it's a simple procedure, isn't it? But weren't we a little bit nervous the first time we got out there and did it ourselves? Because we were handing in an explosive solution, uh, substance. This stuff can blow up on you. And of course, if you stand there and you're pumping your gas and you read everything, don't operate a cell phone. Explosion might occur. I have no idea how my cell phone can make gasoline explode. I have absolutely no idea about that one. But somehow, if you use your cell phone when you, do, when you are pumping up your gas, uh, you may blow the place up. So you see all these warnings, you know, don't smoke. Of course, you're going to understand that. And all the different things you're not supposed to do because, you know, explosions might happen. So it can make you a little bit nervous getting up there. But most of us have done enough times that we don't even read the signs of the warning, let alone, let alone believe them. So we just go on up there, we grab the, the handle, and we pump away. And we fill it up. And we're pretty good at this. But if you ran into someone who was a first-timer, could you help them out? Oh, yeah. And would you feel good about giving them instructions about how to pump gas? Well, yeah, you just do this. And you might even go along there with them and help them out to, you know, do it like this and put, put this in here and then all this sort of stuff. And, of course, make sure you put the gas cap on at the end. And you could go through. So we have confidence. When we have confidence in how to do something, then we certainly can tell other people how to do it. So if I don't know how to tell someone how to abide, how can I really be sure that I know how to do it myself? And that really is the problem that most of us are not real comfortable with the concept of abiding. We're not real sure about what it is. We know about what it is, but not real positive. And to be able to explain this to someone else for us would be kind of hard. So if it's kind of hard for us to explain it to someone else, how are you going to be able to do it? You could apply this to just about everything else too. Some of you folks know how to cook. If you know how to cook, you feel good about giving someone else instructions or lessons on how to cook. Some of you are musicians and can play instruments. If you can play an instrument, you can feel comfortable telling someone else how to play the instrument. Whatever it is that we do, we feel comfortable telling someone else about how to do it. So, if we are truly abiding in Him to the point that we are producing fruit as a branch attached to the vine, how is it we're not more comfortable telling other people how? How is it we're a little unsure? We need to become sure as to what it is, what does it mean to abide? I need to know beyond any shadow of a doubt, what is it to abide? Because the key to producing fruit is abiding and abiding in the vine. 
Because if I abide in the vine, I will produce fruit. But I've got to abide. can't just be attached. See, there's branches that have been attached before and they don't produce fruit. And what happens to them? They get cut off, cast away, and they're done. So just because you're attached to the vine doesn't mean you're abiding. There's a difference. But it's not supposed to be that hard. This is all not supposed to be stuff that's, that's real hard for us to do. God's not trying to make it difficult for us to abide. He just wants us to do it. Have you ever tried to explain something to someone that you, you do it all the time and you feel like it's pretty easy? But then you know you find somebody else who doesn't know how to do that. How many, how many have ever made a, a cake from scratch? You got a few folks who made cake. How many have never made a cake from scratch? Wouldn't even know what that is. <laughs> all right. See now we have we have cakes in a box, and you take the box and you open up the plastic bag inside and you read the instructions which says mix it with eggs, margarine, water, oil, whatever it is. You know there's only about four or five ingredients that you got to put in there, and then you you put it all in. But I was back in the day when we used to make stuff by scratch. My greatest experience in making something in, in scratch was this one time when a buddy of mine, his name was Whitey, uh, we were in this Christian youth crusade group and uh, they had a uh, contest and we were going to have a bake sale. Or not a bake sale, but a, a, a baking contest. And so he and I teamed up. No, two guys in high school. Junior, Actually, I think it was junior high. We were in junior high. So two guys, junior high guys, you know, we didn't really make a whole lot. We teamed up and we're going to enter a cake into the contest. And so we sat down with the, uh, with the book and we picked out, you know, mom was there to help. And she, you know, we picked out, but she let us, you know, do our own thing. And we picked out what flavor of cake we were going to make. And then we went through and we picked out a, a flavor of icing. But these were, these were not store-bought things. These were not packaged and when you go through the directions, you had to... Now, this may be a term that very few, of you, only a few of you are familiar with, but you had to sift the flour. If I were to tell, tell most people today, you needed to sift the flour. You, what? <laughs> most people don't even have a sifter at home anymore. I mean, it's go, I don't even think we have a sifter at home because you just don't need it a whole lot. But, you know, in order to do that, what you had to do is you had to take the flour after you measured it out and you had to put it into the screen that was, you know, kind of cone-shaped, and you had to take a spoon and stir it and press it up against the screen, and that sifted the flour. I don't know why sifting the flour was important. I just know that the instruction said, sift the flour. So we sifted the flour. There you go. See, people know what to do. I just followed the instructions. So we did that. We sifted the flour, and we got the cake done, and so we got the cake into the oven, and the cake was baking, and we commenced to make the icing. And so we had picked out this uh, uh, peanut butter icing. And we didn't just pick out a vanilla cake. It was, it was some other kind of flavor. I don't even remember what it was. But it was, along the, it was just a little bit off from vanilla. It was still a white cake, but it was something off from, from just a straight-up vanilla. And we were going to put this peanut butter icing. So we commenced to make the peanut butter icing and found out we did not have any peanuts or peanut butter. Now, most of you probably would have just retooled and gone in another direction, but not us. We decided to stay on the narrow path and continue on. And so we continued to make peanut butter icing without peanuts or peanut butter. Now, you're thinking, how could you do that? How could you make peanut butter icing without peanuts or peanut butter? It was simple. We had in our, in our, at our disposal, in our, uh, uh, cabinet, we had Captain Crunch's peanut butter cereal. And we figured this was a pretty good substitute. So instead of peanuts or peanut butter, we put in Captain Crunch's peanut butter cereal. And instead of peanuts on the top of the icing, we put Captain Crunch's peanut butter cereal whole. But then in the other part, we crunched it up. So that it was all, you know, crunched up and give peanut butter taste to it. So that's how we made the peanut butter icing. And we didn't put this on the cake until the cake came out and the cake cooled. And we went to apply the peanut butter icing. Found out that peanut butter icing is a little too thick to go on the sides. But as most people do, we started to ice the cake on the top. And when we got to the sides, it was too late at that point to take the icing off of the top and change to a different 
icing because the peanut butter icing had already been applied to the top of the cake. So what we did was we improvised and we came up with a butterscotch icing and we put the butterscotch icing on the sides and a peanut butter made with Captain Crunch's peanut butter cereal on the top and some kind of a vanilla type of a cake on the inside and we went off to our... We entered into the contest. Now we get into the contest and we have people who put fresh strawberries on white fluffy icing all over the top. We had people who took M&Ms and decorated the top of the cake with M&Ms. And all these, they were all looking pretty good. And here was ours. <laughs> Two different kinds of icing, one on the side, one on the top with Captain Crunch's peanut butter cereal scattered along the top for decoration. Now you all probably figure out how far we got with this, right? Except you would be wrong. We won. We won first prize in the contest. No one was more shocked than us, except, <laughs> except possibly my mother. And if she's not here today, she could tell you for sure. She may have been more shocked than the two of us, but we were totally stunned that we won. And so we interviewed the judges afterwards to find out why that was. And the one judge says, well, I don't like peanut butter, but I didn't want to hold that against it. I'm not sure how that got us the number one vote, but whatever it was, <laughs> we won the contest and we... Uh, we got that stuff done. Now, how many of you would want to take instructions on how to, cake, uh, how to cook a cake from us? <laughs> now, I got a lot better at baking and cooking after that, but up to that point, that was really my first experience doing much of, of any of that stuff. And so I got into, into more of it, but not at that point. You have to know what you're doing. You hear the story about that cake, and you would get the idea that we didn't know what we were doing, and you would be right. If you just looked at the end result... We won first prize, and we beat nice fluffy white icing cakes with strawberries on it, and other ones decorated real nicely with colorful M&Ms. And you would think, how in the world could you have won? I have no idea. But the end results didn't justify the fact that we didn't know what we were doing. But if we as, as Christians can get to know what we're doing on abiding, so much so that we feel totally comfortable telling anyone how to abide, how they can abide, and we can be pretty sure we know what we're doing ourselves. He goes on here. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So the father is glorified by us bearing the fruit. Let me call your attention one more to a verse just before this. Verse 3. He says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already clean. Why in the world is he talking about being clean when he's talking about being abiding? How many of you would bet that verse 3 has something to do with verse 4? I don't know. Just a wild guess. But generally, Jesus teaches very well. And Jesus doesn't waste words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Not the, not, not the Son. It's the Father. You remember the parable? We went over this on one of the Wednesday nights. One of the, the parables of um, the uh, vineyard. It was the Son who pleaded for the tree that was not productive. It was the owner of the vineyard who wanted to cut it down. It is the Father who cuts down unproductive branches, not the Son. We have to remember, we have to understand our roles. Our role is to be a and a fruit bearing branch. Jesus' role is to be the true vine, and the Father's role is vine dresser. We as branches are not vine dressers. The vine is not the vine dresser. We each have our role. Jesus defined what it is. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Every branch he what? Prune. Now we're going to spend more time on the word prune down the, down the road. We're not talking about the fruit. We're talking about the pruning. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And he's talking about here the pruning process. It is the pruning process that makes us clean. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already clean. He did not say you're already clean because you were born again. He did not say you're already clean because you are attached to the vine. He said 
you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. How is the word that Jesus spoke to the disciples, how does that make them clean? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. No branch bears fruit outside of being attached to something. has to be attached. And the vine is what we are attached to. Well, these are the concepts, these are the principles we want to get into here today. And I want you to uh, go over to 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. This is, of course, after he talked about how to get rid of sin. If anyone sins, he is an advocate with the Father, we're told. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and so forth. But after he does all that, he writes in chapter 2, My little children, these things I write to you, not to give you a license to sin, not to show you don't worry about it. If you sin, it's okay. You can be forgiven. I write these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. I want you to understand the the difference in this verse. This verse is not saying those who do good. How many of you know if you keep His commandments, you would do good? Are there people in this world who do not commit murder? But they do not do it because it's it's His commandment. They do it because it's a good idea. It keeps you out of jail. they got a lot of different motivations for, for doing it, but not because it's His Word. Even got people all over the place that are trying to get Ten Commandments taken out of uh, government buildings and and uh, different things of that nature. Uh, they, they, I mean, courthouses. Some of them had to remove the Ten Commandments from it, but you would know the courthouse is still upholding the Ten Commandments, but not because they're the Ten Commandments, because they're a good idea. It's a good idea not to murder people. It's a good idea. It's a good idea not to steal. See, the courts try people who steal. They try people who murder. They try people for a lot of things that are going on against the Ten Commandments. But they don't follow the Ten Commandments because they are His Word. They do them because of other reasons. And so this is what this is saying. Not just to do what He says to do. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Why is it that you don't murder? Because my Father God commanded me not to. Why is it you don't steal? Because my Father God commanded me not to. That's the reason for it. If people come out to me and say, why do you not commit murder? I don't want to go to jail. I don't say that, do I? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go to jail. That is, a, that is a motivation. Glory to God. It's a good idea not to go to jail. Not a real nice place from, from what I hear. But the idea is because my Father says it. When you were growing up and your parents said, don't run out into the street. And the other kids would run out in the street and you would be not running out in the street. Come on, why don't you come with us? My mom said, don't run out into the street. I didn't say, I might get run over. I'm afraid. I didn't say any of those things. I said, my mom said not to run out into the street. My mom said not to go beyond this block. Why am I, what am I doing? I'm showing them first off that I know my mom. And then I'm listening to their commandments. That the reason I'm not doing it is because of my mom. Because of what was said. This is the same thing with us. This is how I prove that I know Him. Because I do His commandments because they are His commandments. So when I stand up and I tell people, you know, I love people. Why? Because Jesus told me to. Why do you do good to people? Because Jesus told me to. Why are you always smiling? Why don't you steal? Why don't you covet? Why don't you commit adultery? Come on, look what everybody else is doing. They're all doing it. Why don't you do it too? And my father said not to do that. And that's all the reason we need. See, that's how the world will know. I, I listen to his commandments and I do them. So it's not just telling people who do good things. It's telling people who do it because he commanded it. 
That's the difference. That's a huge difference, folks. Because there's a whole lot of people in this world who think I'm doing good stuff, therefore I won't go to hell. <laughs> but that's not it. You've got to do it because it's His commandments. And people that are doing it because it's His commandments will stand up and tell you, I don't do it because God said not to. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. That's a really significant statement. We'll find out more about that later. But whoever keeps his word true, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So what is abiding? I mean, is that not a simple definition? What is abiding? To walk as he walked. We don't need any complicated definitions, do we? John laid it right out here for us. What is abiding? To walk as he walked. Why are you walking that way? Because he walked that way. Why are you doing that? Because he did it. You do everything he does? I try. <laughs> That's the way I'm going. I want to do it the way he did it. Why do you walk that way? I was just talking to somebody the other, the other day. Uh, their, uh, their child was, was looking into getting into... Um, uh, track possibly again. As I was telling them some things, I said, look, one of the things, here's what they need to do. You need to first off find out somebody and gave them some things over on, the, on the diet to check on out. And beside that, I said, uh, and you want to get into a, a pre-workout schedule before this track season comes up. And I said, and beside that, then you're going to want, because their, their child was fast. They were always told me, you know, the child's real fast and they could be doing this. And, I said, and so beside that, I said, what you need to do is you need to get someone to run behind the child. You need to have somebody run behind them and tell them everything they're doing wrong. Because that child needs to run right. I don't care if they're fast. They can be faster if they run right. You know that there's a right way to run and a wrong way to run. Now, most people don't, don't know that. And when I know from my years with, in doing it, when I see people running on down, they always catch my eye. Anytime I see somebody running on down, it always catches my eye. And, it's, and I can tell in an instant. I, I classify them in an instant where they are as far as a runner is concerned. It don't take me long. All I've got to do is look at them and I can tell. That's just a jogger. <laughs> they're just out, you know, exercise. They're just good. It's all fine. They're just, they're just a jogger. That's all right. Then you find another one. Well, they're not, they're, they've moved beyond a, a jogger. They're, you know, they're, they're concerned with about the, the pace with which they, they run, but they're not a runner. They're just, you know, they, they go at it a little, little more intensely than, than other people do. And then you can find some other ones who, uh, well, they, they want to be a runner. And you can tell from the way that they're carrying themselves, they want to be a runner, but they're not there yet. And I'm not saying this because I was a, a, a great one or like that, but I learned what was supposed to happen. Just because it wasn't always able to do it <laughs> didn't mean that I didn't know what was supposed to happen. I could tell what was supposed to go on, and you could tell just by looking at it. Now, way back uh, a few years ago, I used to take my son to school most days, and we would run by, it seems like all the time we were going by this one spot, and there was this one gentleman who would run on out there, and his style was very unique. Now, he was a dedicated jogger. He was out there every day, no matter what the weather was, he was out there. But you could tell from the way his arms were going, this guy didn't know what he was doing. Because the one arm was going the whole time. It's going like this. Every time we passed him, he's, he's, I don't even know how you do that and run, but he did it. <laughs> We could, we could tell him a long way off, that's that guy. And then get up closer, yep, sure enough, that was him. You can just tell <laughs> who it was. But I did, um, I went through my whole first season across country and I didn't run right. And then uh, so somebody picked me up under the wing and he said, look, I'm going to help you out. I can tell you want to run right. So I'm going to follow behind you and I'm going to tell you what you're not doing right. And he corrected my arm swing. He corrected my, where my knees would go. He, would, he corrected how my stride was. He corrected, uh, corrected how I landed. He corrected my posture. He corrected my head. He corrected my eyes. He corrected uh, I mean, all sorts of stuff. He said, you know, right, you know, this is, this is out of whack. You've got to get your, 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 your stuff lined up here. And they would take pictures of the thing. And I could tell, oh, yeah, that's not right. That's, that isn't good. Because if you are running right, no matter when you take the picture, the alignment is right. There's certain alignments you got to look for because you're running right. And so I began to run like I was told, not the way I... I, I did it. Not the way I went. It's the same thing just about with anything. How many of you have ever played basketball? 
I mean, I like to watch basketball. I like to watch basketball. I like to play it too, but you know, I'm not a real good player. I just like to play. But if you watch those guys in the NBA, they all have a certain form to them. And they will bring that ball up, and the ball is in this hand, or if they're right-handed, it's in this hand. And the other hand just kind of stabilizes it. And they bring it up over their head, and they shoot. And you'll notice that the hand does that. If it's right, it goes just like that. And But you can tell other people that are growing up, they're, they're shooting a little bit differently. I had a coach them for a while, and so you know, I, was, I, was, I could watch all kinds of stuff. And you see some of them that they got the ball right here. And they throw it up like that. And they got other ones, and it seems like once you get them out of this, the next phase that they get into is to take this and to shoot right from here. And they, they shoot just like this. Or the way they're, pretty much the way they're supposed to, but it's right here. It's blocking their... And I was just talking to a guy over at the Y the other day. He, was, he said, can you watch me when I'm shooting? Tell me when I'm doing wrong. I said, sure, sure, I'll watch it. And so I was watching him, and he was first off shooting from here. I says, no, you want to get this over your head. And so he started to bring it up over his head, but he kept stopping here. And he kept, kept shooting like that. You know, it looked pretty close to it. I says, now, he says, when you do that, you know what you do? You, you, you can't see the basket. Because you're bringing that ball, and it's right there in front of your face. You, can't, you lose sight of the basket. The reason, I said, it's hard to do this at first. The reason that you put it over your head is because you have total sight of the basket. And then you just follow through and you shoot and when you do it right, you can just feel a click. When that ball leaves your hand, ever see those guys in NBA? And they shoot, and they're already backing up to play defense. Because they, they could tell. As soon as they let it go, it's in. I can tell. And you can tell that. And I, I know just from playing, I mean, I'm nothing near where they do. But I can tell when I shoot it, oh, that's short. Until as soon as it leaves my hand, oh, that's short. Oh, it's off to the right. I can tell as soon as it leaves my hand, it's off to the right side. It's off to the left. You can tell. It's just off that way. Sometimes I'm playing and I'll, I'll shoot. Oh, it's short. And I'll tell the guys that are underneath to make sure they look for it because it's going to be short. It's going to hit the rim. It's going to do something like that. You can just tell. And if you get a hold of somebody and they show you, this is how you shoot. This is how you run. Jesus is saying, this is how you walk. And if you walk the way he says to walk, you are abiding. You are abiding. How can you tell if a potential NBA player is abiding in what his coaches says? How can you tell if a potential world-class runner is abiding in what the coach says? How can you tell if a potential world-class cook is abiding in what the master chef says to do? How can you tell? Because they do what they're told. They do it. If the master chef comes up and says, do it this way. How many of y'all like that chef show that's on TV? I can't stand it. I can't, I've just the commercials that turn me off. Now, some of my family have watched it and say they've enjoyed it. I can't get past this. I cannot watch it. I get so upset at the way he treats everybody in the commercials. I, to be, I can't watch the whole show. <laughs> But if you like, I'm, that's, that's not a spiritual thing. You know, it's, it's, it's just me. I just don't like it. To sit there and watch somebody be yelled at all the time, that's just not real entertaining for me. But some people like it, and obviously some folks in my family uh, like it. Of course, there are some people in my family who watch Glee too, so. <laughs> not me. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, different people like different, different kind of things. But how can you tell when those People are doing what the master chef wants them to do. How can you tell when the coach is being followed? When they obey, when they do it. How can you tell when you are abiding with the Father? When you walk as He walks because you listen to His commandments. You obey His commandments. Folks, every single time I resist temptation and do it God's way. Every single time that I do it God's way and Block out all other temptations. What am I doing? I am abiding. How many of you have ever blocked out the wrong way to go the right way? You know what you're doing? You're abiding. You're abiding in Him. Every single time that you resist temptation, what are you doing? Abiding. When the young player, NBA player, wants to be an NBA player, every time he pulls that shot back 
and he wants to shoot here because it's comfortable. This is where I'm used to it. And as he's coming, no, no, I gotta, I gotta shoot here. Every single time he does that, what's he doing? He's abiding. I'm leaving what I know to do. I'm leaving what I'm comfortable doing. I'm leaving what I want to do at the moment and I am going with what someone else has told me, the Master has said, and I'm doing what He says. I am abiding. That's all that it is. It isn't complicated. Glory to God for that. Again, let's take a look at what, what, what He says. In verse 6, He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. If I walk the way He does, I am Abiding. And how do I walk the way He walks? I study Him. I listen to what He says. And I put those commandments on the inside of me. The Gospel said, as Joshua was told, meditate on them day and night. Don't let them depart from you. Keep them them with you. Brother and I write no new commandment to you. But an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Why? Because what does he say to do? Love your brother. What did he demonstrate? And what am I doing? Something else. Not what he said. So if I hate my brother, am I abiding? If I love my brother, am I abiding? Does it matter what the brother does? Does it matter what the sister does? No, No, it doesn't. What's the matter? What you do. Abiding has nothing to do with the people around you. There is no one on the face of this earth who can stop you from abiding. No brother, no sister in the Lord. None of them. Only one who can do it is you. Because it is your choice to walk in His commandments. It is your choice to do what He said. It is your choice to walk like He walked. It's your choice. No one else can make that for you. If you want to abide, do as He said. Do as He did. Go the direction that He did. And you're abiding. You don't have to wonder if you're abiding. You're abiding. He who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. Folks, we walk in the wrong way. We can stumble around. But he says, no, walk in the light. Walk in love. If you love your brother, you walk in the light. If you don't, you walk in darkness. And he is light. That's abiding. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Can't even tell. He walks in darkness. He's not darkness. The vine is not darkness. The true vine is not darkness. But he once again in John 15 said, I am the true vine. And we said right off the bat, wait, wait, when we first started this, that meant there are other vines and they're not all the true vine. So just because I am attached to a vine doesn't mean I am attached to the true vine. The true vine is Jesus. No one else. No one else. If whatever it is that I'm following doesn't proclaim Jesus as Lord, that Jesus is supreme, that He is the Savior, if it doesn't proclaim that, I am not attached to the vine. I may be attached to a vine, but I am not attached to the vine. If I am not attached to the vine, I am walking in not light. So if I'm going to abide, I just got to walk the way He walked. Love your brother. doesn't matter what your brother did. Wow, really? Does it matter what your brother did? No, there we go. No, it doesn't matter what your brother did. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have not written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. All the stuff we can get into, probably get into a little bit more down the road. Let's finish this off. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father, he abides forever. So there are enemies to abiding. And first off, we see that in the, in the area of sin, court first John 2 says, first off, we are forgiven, are we not? We don't earn it, we receive it. Walk in the light. How do you walk in the light? You do as He did. I don't earn forgiveness. I've been given forgiveness. But I still walk and do what's right because I'm abiding. It's this way. Forgiveness got you attached to the vine, the true vine. Abiding makes you produce fruit. But don't ever think that what causes you to abide is what got you saved. It's different. Sin is an enemy of abiding. The devil wants to get people into this place where they have to earn it. They have to receive it. And he's trying to trick them into the principles that are abiding principles are actually principles of forgiveness. And they're out there trying to earn it. You know, you, uh, if you miss it, you go up to the priest and you confess it to the priest. And the priest says, all right, go out there and say ten Hail Marys and four Our Fathers and I don't know whatever else to do. You know, do the rosary four or five times and all the different stuff. And what are they doing? Putting works upon you. Because they have left the principle that forgiveness is given. I receive forgiveness. I receive it. I don't earn it. I receive it. You cannot earn forgiveness. I receive it. The principles of abiding are not the principles of being attached. Thank God for that. But here he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Here are distractions. There's a love of God. There's a love of others. Love not the world, he says. Love God, love others, but love not the world. Love God, first commandment, first greatest commandment. Second, love others. Thirdly, don't love the world or the things in the world. The Word of God tells us here, right here. He says, the world is passing away. Why would you love the world? The world is passing away. How many of you like cars? I said like. (laughs) Great. Like cars. Don't love them. How many of you like houses? Don't like them. Don't love them. How many of you like, like having money in the bank? <laughs> I mean, isn't, isn't having money in the bank better than not? Like it. Don't love it. How many of you like electronic gadgets? Oh, I, I, I do. I do. I like them. I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to fall in love with them. I like them. But I'm not going to love them. Love God. Love others. Don't love the things of the world. Don't love the pleasures that this world can give. You start to love the pleasures of this world and you start to begin to think, you know what, God? I don't want you to come just yet. Just hang on for a little while because, you know, i got some things I want to do. i got some places I want to go. i got some, you know, jobs I want to finish. I want to buy some stuff. Don't love the world. Like it. Enjoy it. Don't love it. There are distractions out there. Keep the focus. Love God. Love others. Don't love the other stuff. Then there are just deceptions in verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour now as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us but they didn't. They were not of us. For if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Thank God for that. We have an anointing from the Holy One. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So there you know the true vine. The true vine, acknowledge the Son, acknowledge the Father. You don't acknowledge the Son and the Father, not the true vine. Walk in the true vine. There are going to be distractions, there are going to be deceptions. And what he basically did, I just broke these deceptions down into these things. The enemy tries to corrupt your actions. He tries to corrupt your objectives. And he tries to corrupt your principles. He tries to corrupt your actions to get you to do things that the Father would not do, that the Son would not do. He tries to corrupt your actions. He tries to corrupt your objectives by bringing in false teaching and false doctrine. 
Well, you have to earn forgiveness. That just changed your objective, didn't it? I'm no longer doing these things for the principles of abiding. I'm doing these for the principles of being forgiven. That's wrong. They begin to change your objective as to where you're going afterwards. Will you get to heaven? Do you know that you're going to get to heaven? What do you... Uh, some people want to teach. Well, you, you should never desire rewards when you get to heaven. But the Word of God tells us to. They, begin, they come in and they begin to change your objectives. The things that God has told us that we are to earn, that we are to do, that we are to pursue, you don't change those. You pursue those things. If God said, run the race in this way, then you run the race in that way. If He said, I'm building a mansion for you, guess what? He's not building a shack. He's building a mansion. If He says, I go to prepare a place for you, He's going to prepare a place for me. If He says, I'm coming back for you, He is... Do not change the objectives. Don't let other people come in and change the objectives. What God said is happening is happening. You don't look around in this world and say, yeah, but He hasn't come yet. Well, this hasn't happened yet. Don't change the objectives. That's corruption. And then you're not abiding. Don't be doing that. Keep your actions, keep your objectives right. And then principles. False doctrine comes in to try and corrupt your principles. Try and get you to be built on other things. Don't let it. Don't let those don't let those principles be corrupted. The Word of God tells you to love. Love your enemies. Love your brothers and sisters. Love those in the church. That's what we need to do. We need, we need to walk that way. We need to just walk loving. If people come up and ask you for forgiveness, even though they've done it 30 times before, what should you do? Forgive. Forgive why? Not because you want to? No. <laughs> because? Because He did it. He demonstrated it to us. He's forgiven us a thousand times probably on some of the same things. 30 times is nothing. You just keep on going. Why? Because He demonstrated it. He taught it. And he's the Master. And I'm going to abide with Him. Think of Karate Kid. Remember the movie? How many saw the movie Karate Kid? Yeah, the old one. The old, that, I, there is a new one, isn't there? Yeah. I, didn't, I never saw the new one. <laughs> I only saw the old one. Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. <laughs> is that, did they put Mr. Miyagi in the new one? Yeah, wax on, wax off. I mean, the guy was getting frustrated. He's over there waxing the guy's car. <laughs> cleaning the car, waxing the car. He finally gets frustrated. You just have me out here waxing cars. I'm just cleaning up your cars. I'm not out here just to clean up cars. And he throws the stuff down. And then finally, Mr. Miyagi has to come out and say, Oh, <laughs> wax on, wax off. <laughs> and then he finally understood. Oh, I'm building. There's a principle there. Mr. Miyagi had a principle. He was teaching me the principle the whole time. I didn't see it, but he didn't trust him. We have to trust that God has a principle. He's teaching us the principles. Believe the principles. Follow after him. If he says wax on, wax on. If he says wax off, wax off. If you come back tomorrow and he says, wax on, wax on. Just keep doing it. Go out there and watch that movie. Just think about it. Wax on. Wax off. Just keep going. But the enemy will try to corrupt your actions. He's going to try to corrupt your objectives. He's going to try and corrupt your principles. Don't be deceived. Now, how to, how to abide? How do I abide? First off, where do we go with this? Think, uh, yep, verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Real big verse here. Therefore, basis of all the stuff we just taught, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Let, the word let, right there, right in your outline. It is up to us. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. The truth that He gave us from the beginning is still the truth now. Truth doesn't change. If someone wants to come along and say, well, I have more enlightenment than that. I have more enlightenment. That's not so anymore. The truth that we have from the beginning is the truth that we have now. Follow the truth. Don't let it go. Let that which you had from the beginning Abide in you. What you heard from the beginning, let it abide in you. You have to let it. Other things are going to come against you. The enemies are going to come against you trying to get you out of letting that abide in you. But don't do it. What's abide mean? To stay, to continue, 
stay in it. Abide in it. Remain in that teaching. How many of y'all know that we were taught from the Word of God, we were taught other things maybe when you were growing up, but eventually we got to the teaching that Jesus is the healer. We need to abide in that teaching. Jesus is the healer. Doesn't matter if Aunt Sophie died. Does it matter if Uncle George got sick? What's the matter? <laughs> What's the word say? The thousand fall at your right hand, does that make the word God untrue? No. It does not matter. Let that truth abide in you. It was true in the beginning. It's true now. You don't ever let circumstances do that. But that's what the devil will try and do. Come in as an enemy. Try and corrupt what you know. Look up, Yeah, but look at Aunt Sophie over there. Don't let that happen. It's up to us. There is the truth. What we heard and continue to hear. The Holy Spirit, He is the revealer of truths. I gave you some scriptures here on this. John chapter 14, verse 15 and 17. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you a helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. John fifteen twenty six. But when the Helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. John sixteen thirteen. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, and He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He is the Spirit of truth. And He will guide you into all truth. So, let, it's up to us. Truth. Make sure you guard it. And purpose. Don't lose sight of the purpose. There's promises in the Word of God. Those are your purpose for life. People can lose sight of the goal, but don't lose sight of the goal. You've got to keep your eye on the goal. What's out there? Keep your eye on the goal. Sometimes you can see it with your eyes. How many have ever gone on a real long drive across states? You keep your eye on the goal. We're heading to wherever. We're heading to Florida. We're heading to Texas. It's a long, I can't see it. But I keep my eye on the goal. We're heading this way. If I stay on this route, if I go to here, we stay that way. We don't see, what's that road? I wonder where that takes me. No, you stay on. This is the way we're going. We have purpose. God gave us purpose. He gave us promises and His purpose keep us on the, the right way. And we abide. How do we abide? Do what He does. And the Word of God tells us there is an anointing to help us. There is an anointing to help us and a confidence to sustain us. That's what this verse is talking about. There's a confidence that will help you. Just like when we were baking, we really had no reason to be confident. But we have great reason to be confident in the Word of God because His Word has endured a lot, of, a lot of years. His Word came from the giver of truth, the one who created this universe. Let's follow after His truth. Let's take His truth. We guard them. We protect them. If I do as He did, as I take His words and listen to them, put them to work in my life, I am abiding. So this is the key. How do you produce fruit? You abide in Him. How do you abide in Him? You do as He did. You obey His commandments. You walk like He walked. And then you are abiding. So every single one of you can leave from here, meet somebody in the street, and if they say, how do I abide in Him? What do you say? Walk as He walked. Walk as He walked. What would... What would he be doing here? How would he be going about this? What does his word say to me? Is this a distraction from what his word teaches me? What's going on with all that? Walk as he walked. Would you all stand up with me? Well, Father, we thank you for the spirit of truth that has been given to us. That we can know all truth that we need to know. That he guides us into those things. I thank you, Father, that we walk as He walked. We go as He did. We do as He commanded. We thank you for the understanding of all the things that are taught in your Word that we can walk in them. 
Abiding is not complicated. It's just doing what He told us to do. Walking the way He walked. Father, I thank You. Many of us have been doing this all along. And we've been abiding. The longer we abide, the more the fruit of the Spirit we are seeing blossom on us. Oh, we thank You for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.